<clears throat> well, I could really feel my throat start to go on that last one, so we'll see how this turns out. We're going to be in James again. James chapter 5, starting with verse 7. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains? You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands in the door. Brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. See that we count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome of the Lord that the Lord brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dearly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love for us and your compassion and your mercy that you have for us, those of us who who belong to you, Lord. And uh, we just help us to recognize that this morning and help us to be encouraged by this passage that uh, we can see the promises that you've made to us and we can keep encouraged in our walk with you. And I just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so as I was preparing this lesson this past week, I started to think that maybe I have done myself a kind of a great disservice. Uh, as I've, since I've become a Christian, uh, I've kind of emphasized how the relationship with God is the main part of salvation, that that's what it's all about. It's about being reconciled to God, and I believe that. I really do. I think that that's the most important part. Heaven is a bonus to that, but that is the most important part. But I think in the process of emphasizing that, that I've kind of taken my eyes off the joy that can be found in the promise of eternal life. And so I think that that's important to recognize that. Because as I, as I read this passage and as I was putting this sermon together this week, I was very encouraged. This is a very encouraging passage, which is good because the past few passages have been really convicting to me. And so I, I don't think there's anything wrong with conviction. I think that conviction is something that God does to let us know that we're doing something that's outside of his will. And so I think sometimes we respond with guilt in conviction. I don't think that that's always necessary. I don't think that that has to be our go-to response. I think that if we, might be, uh, if we might be a little stubborn, then maybe brokenness is appropriate to us uh, through our sin. If we're choosing to do the wrong thing, even though that God has told us not to do that, I think that bro brokenness is appropriate for that. But I don't think that guilt is always a good response to conviction. And I think that Jesus bore our guilt on the cross, and so that we need to trust that those of us who belong to him are forgiven. And when we hear from God, we just simply need to let what he says to us soak in and then let it change the way we think. And as it ch changes the way we think, it'll change the way we live. Anyways, that's just something extra this morning really has not much to do with it. But this is an encouraging passage because it's a passage on the promises that God has for us as his children. And it's the passage on the faithfulness that he has that we can trust him that he's going to bring that promise about. And so that's a good thing that we can trust him in those things. And so that's why this has been so encouraging to me this week. Uh, and so I'm going to start out with verse 17. I'm just going to jump right in here. Uh, Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. Now, I had heard uh, from a pastor who I 
always enjoyed listening to by the name of J.D. Greer, he always told me, he was the first one I learned this from, that when you see the word therefore, that you need to ask yourself, what's it there for? And so that's an important thing to do is if you're interpreting scripture, because there's something that came before that passage that's relevant to what's being said. And so I believe that it goes back to the previous passage when it's talking about a warning to the rich, uh, that it's going back to that because of that. But I also believe that it can be uh, about everything that James has said, because uh, this letter is kind of written uh, more like a sermon. And at this point, we're starting to come to a closing part of the sermon, uh, the conclusion where he has some final bits of encouragement and some final instruction for us. And so... The things that he's talked about that I believe the therefore points back to is he talks about enduring the trials that we go through. He talks about considering them joy when we go through trials, and that's hard. And then he talks about encountering temptation and realizing that God is not the one that tempts us, but we're tempted when we're drawn away by our own evil desires. And he talks about not showing favoritism, and that's another difficult thing for us to do. And uh, he's, he's telling us that there should be works along with our faith that we have in Christ. And so that's something that sometimes maybe we miss. He talks about controlling our tongue, and he talks about how that's very hard to do, that the tongue is like a fire and it's hard to bridle it or it's hard to keep it under control. He talks about trusting God's wisdom instead of our own, and that's important because often we're prone to go with our wisdom instead of God's, and our wisdom goes contrary to the character and the nature that God is trying to build in us. He talks about being humble, and I don't know about you, but that's a very difficult thing to do is to be humble and not elevate myself. Um, talks about seeking God's will in our own instead of our own, which is also difficult. And then his last time, he talks about the temptations of the wealthy to pursue wealth and to put it first in our lives. And so none of these things, we all struggle in some of these areas. You know, if we say that we don't struggle in some of these areas, that's kind of called pride, and that's kind of an area that we're struggling in. And so that none of these areas are easy for us, even as Christians. So the temptation sometimes is to give up is to give up because it gets very strong to just give up on the Christian walk because it's hard. And so I believe that the therefore that James gives us is pointing back to everything he said. Because of, therefore, because of everything that I've just told you, because it's hard to walk the Christian walk because it goes contrary to our human nature, don't give up. Don't give in to the ways of this world. Be patient. And so I believe that that's one of the main reasons that he says be patient is because following Jesus in this world can be hard. And so why should we be patient? Because Jesus is coming back. And that's something to rejoice in. That's something we really have to meditate on sometimes in order to rejoice it. And that's where I found myself this past week. And so in the waiting, there is often the temptation to look around and see what everyone else has And they seem to have it good sometimes. And the world seems to have it easier in life. And they really do because they're not fighting against their nature. They're actually just kind of going with the flow of what the human nature is like. And so when we look at that, it does seem like an easier life. And so we might ask ourselves, if God promises good to me, then where is that good? And so there's the temptation to give up on the journey of following Christ because of those feelings and because of how difficult it can be to stay on the course, the straight and narrow, when everybody else is taking the broad way and it looks like the way to go sometimes. But it's not just because of the Christian walk that makes it kind of tempting to give up. Um, Life in general is hard. 
We lose people we love and we deal with great emotions that we have in our hearts that come with variety of trials that we deal with. And so it's hard to wait for a Savior who promised to give us hope when sometimes we can't see or feel the hope that he's promised to give us. And so it's difficult. And I believe that's why he's telling us to be patient. That's, but this is why it's important for us to remember that God is faithful to those who belong to him. And he will not go back on the promises that he has given us. He is coming back, so don't give up. Keep fighting the good fight. So to conclude verse 7 and on into verse 8, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient until he receives the early and the late rains. You must also be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. And so I think in order to actually understand what this illustration is that he's given, we have to know what the early and the late rains is. So I had to stop and do some research and it was pretty interesting. Some of it we can relate to, but then some of it we really can't. Uh, But Israel was surrounded by nations who basically had a steady source of water. So if you look at Israel, to to the west of Israel, you had Egypt and they had the Nile River. And if you look up in northeast, you have ancient Mesopotamia. And, and they really, they really uh, in, they were called the Fertile Crescent. And they're a Fertile Crescent for the reason, because they could pretty much plant anything because of the, fer- or the Euphrates River and was almost guaranteed that it would grow. And so they had consistent sources. So right where Assyria was and, and in that area, they had the Euphrates River. And so it was easy to grow things and you could pretty well rely on the river. And so... You know, Egypt had the Nile and they had the Euphrates, but Israel did not have such sources of water. Uh, They were in a place where it was hot and it was dry, especially after the summer. And so they had to depend on the rains that God would bring in order to water the ground. The The early rains and the late rains. And so what their period was like in the fall, it would begin to rain. And throughout winter, throughout the rest of fall and winter into early spring, it would be periodic rains. And so the closer that it would get to spring, the heavier the rains would get. And so in the fall, they would receive the early rain. And towards the spring, they would receive the later rain. And so it's very backwards from the way we get it here because they start planting in the fall. Uh, The early rain would come after a hot, dry summer, and if the early rain didn't come, then it wouldn't soften the ground so that they could plow it, and so it was very much necessary for that rain to be there in order for them to plant their crops. And so the later rains would be there because the heavier, it got heavier towards the time it got to spring, and they would come and the heavier rains would ripen the fruit so that it would bring fruit and that fruit would be ripened. Interestingly enough, if you took the heavier rains and you put it in the fall instead of the spring, because of the hard, dry ground, it would cause, the, uh, it, would cause it to flood. It wouldn't be able to soak in the water as quickly, so it would just cause flooding and devastation. And so when you think about it, to me, that seems like it was designed. You know, it was designed a specific way by a God who designs things a specific way because there are so many atheists out there that say that there is no God, that all of this just happened, that there was this big bang and it's all the result of a cosmic explosion that happened over millions and billions of years, okay? And so I can't believe that because when I look around, I see what's called uniformity in nature, which means that things work together in a way as if they're almost fine-tuned to work together because they are. And so there's no way that I could believe that. 
The sun rises and sets, and just like we talked about in the faithfulness, all, uh, great is thy faithfulness in the song, all the seasons come at exactly the time they're supposed to come, and then you have the fact that the sun is exactly where it needs to be. If it was any further, any closer, it wouldn't support life on this earth. And so to look around, I can't see that this could be some sort of cosmic accident that, that, that just brought everything together. It is a design that shows the unique wisdom, but not just the wisdom, but the faithfulness of God to bring those things about and to keep them going and to sustain life while we're here. And so what's the point of this illustration? This is a sign of God's faithfulness. They would wait for the rains and the rains would come and it would show that God was faithful to them. God did not place Israel in a place full of big rivers that would cause them to have consistent growth wherever they're at. He placed them in a place where it was hot and dry and they had to rely on God's faithfulness in order to survive. And so that's, that's the whole point of this. That's the whole point that James is telling us. He's telling us to rely on God's faithfulness just like the farmer relied on the early and late rains. And so um, God was faithful to them to bring those rains. They could almost count on it and mark it on a calendar. Uh, there would be times where he'd send times of drought, but that would be because they weren't being very faithful to him, and that's what he promised in Deuteronomy eleven fourteen. So I'm going to just go through these verses real quick, so you might just jot them down because I'm just going to keep going through them. Uh, Deuteronomy eleven fourteen says, Then, this is talking to Israel before he sends them into the promised land, that if you obey with me, if you comply to what I'm telling you, then I will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rains, so that you may gather in your grain your new wine and your olive oil. And so he's telling them that if you listen to what I'm telling you, I'm going to send the rains that are necessary exactly at the time that you need them. And he was faithful to do that. Jeremiah 5, verse 24. They have not said to themselves, let's fear the Lord who gives the seasonal rains, both autumn and spring, who guarantees us the fixed weeks of the harvest. Guarantees us the fixed weeks of of the harvest. He gives the rains, and so the example of the rains was the faithfulness of God to them. Hosea 6, verse 3, let's strive to know the Lord. His appearance is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us like the late rains in the spring uh, that showers and waters the land. And so they trusted God because of his faithfulness in those areas. And so sometimes maybe we need to look around. Sometimes we get discouraged in our lives. Maybe we need to look around in nature and just see the faithfulness that God has and know that because we have a promise made to us that he's going to be faithful to us. Why did they trust God? Because Psalms 24.1 tells us the earth and everything in it, the world and all its inhabitants belong to the Lord. Everything belongs to God. He has the power and the ability to sustain life in this world. And because he is good and faithful, we can trust the promises that he has made for us. We can trust him to be with us here in this life and we can trust him to give us life in the next. James chapter 1, verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights who does not change like shifting Shadows. He does not change. And so why be patient? Because God has promised us that this life is not it. Because He's promised us, His promises are a reflection of His character, and His character never changes. So for those of us who belong to Christ, the best is yet to come. How do we know that? Because God has promised it. How do we know that His promises are valid? Because He's faithful. So number nine, verse nine. Brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. 
And so God judges our actions and our behaviors as his children. And so that's what he's warning us about. But why is this first here? Like this almost seems out of place if you're not really thinking about it. Um, I know I had to take a little bit to think, why is that there? Uh, But it's here because in the process of trying to be patient until Christ returns, he has not called us to simply live however we want and wait for him to come back. There has to be change in our hearts. And there is a life that God has called us to live and a love that Christ has called us to share now. And in the midst of waiting, we are prone to lose sight of the life and the love that Jesus has called us to. And so one of the ways that we do that is the lack of love that we have for each other when we complain about each other. It's easy to complain in our culture. Like we hear people complaining all the time. Just hop on Facebook and you can see all sorts of people, Christians and non-Christians alike, complaining about anything and everything. It's uh, very much not healthy spiritually for us as Christians to complain. Um, but we often tempted to complain about each other as Christians So why is James hammering on this? Why is he bringing this out in the middle of talking about waiting on the Lord to come back? Well, it goes against the very nature of Jesus, first of all. It goes against the very nature and the love of Jesus and who he is. So even if we complain in our hearts, it's the same as vocalizing it out loud. right? Why? Because we may show tolerance to each other. And maybe we don't complain out loud about each other. Maybe we simply tolerate or avoid each other. Maybe like, okay, I'm not going to complain about that person. I'll just avoid that person. But Jesus has not called us to tolerate each other. And he has not called us just to avoid each other either. He's called us to love each other. And more than that, he's called us to love each other the way that Christ has loved us. That's the commandment he gave whenever he said, I'm giving you a new commandment to love one another as I have loved you. That's the commandment to all of us as Christians. And so Jesus did not tolerate. This is Jesus' love for us. He did not tolerate or avoid us. He did not spend most of his time complaining about us. He pursued us and laid down his life for us. And that's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. That we're to walk in love. We should pursue each other, not merely tolerate or avoid each other. And And we should abstain from finding things to complain about each other. You know, the, the, the world is good at preaching tolerance. Like, you hear that word all the time, tolerance, tolerance. They're good at preaching about putting up with each other. But we're called to be different than the world. We're called to have greater love than the world. Because most of the time, their love isn't really love. And so while we wait for Christ's return, we must understand that he is going to establish his perfect kingdom. You know, last week we talked about the Holy Spirit coming down on Pentecost and filling his followers. And through the Holy Spirit, he spread his gospel to all sorts of different languages that were, that they, that magically, supernaturally, uh, was, was something that they did to speak to different people from different countries and different areas of life. Uh, and so we talked about how the gospel was the priority of that. And it is, the gospel is a priority of God in us sharing it. But while we live and breathe, he has called us not only to share the gospel, but to live with the kingdom of heaven on display through our lives. Right? He's, he's coming back. And while we're here, we're called to live the way that he has told us to live. He wants us to spread his kingdom now along with the message of overcoming death 
And that's why he outlines exactly how we are supposed to live in this life. Because it reflects how his kingdom will be in the next life. And so we're called to live now as if we're already in his perfect established kingdom. And that's a big reason why it's hard in the Christian life. Because we're not there. In this life, there's sin present, and it fights against our Christ nature. It's not going to be present in the next. But even though it's not present here, if perfection's not present here, we're still called to live as if we're already there. That's why Jesus says to his followers, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Are they going to achieve perfection? No, but we're supposed to strive to live the way that we live when we're on the other side. We are called to live as if we're already in heaven. And that includes many things, many different things that our behavior has to change as well as complaining about each other. Uh, patience requires us to pursue that life even though everything in our sinful nature urges us not to. And so I believe that that's why this is in the middle of the passage because in the midst of being patient for Christ's return, we must live as if he will return. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is how will he find us when he returns? Will he find us being faithful to the calling separate from the way the world thinks in their love and in their deeds? Or will he find us looking exactly like the world? Our love must change the way we treat each other or else it's not Christ's love. I'm not saying that specifically about this church this morning. That's not what I'm doing. But while we wait, because this church, we have just as many problems as just any other church. We're, we're all imperfect people. But while we may, we must have the goal of being more like Christ. Because that's what he's called us to. We must love each other so that others can see what Jesus is all about through us. And we can't fake that kind of love, by the way. It's not something that we can just fake. We need Jesus to manifest that love in us. One of the most important things to remember as Christians is that we cannot be more like Jesus without Jesus. You know, if we attempt by our own efforts to be like Christ, we will fail every time because he is perfect and we are not. So we need Jesus to live for Jesus and we need him to change our hearts. But we must live for Jesus while we wait for his return. So moving on to verse 10. And I believe that's why that's in the middle of those passages. Brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. Now, the prophets were heavily persecuted and rejected. Uh, they were faithful to God and what He wanted them to do, even though like, it was a difficult time to be faithful to God. You know, I'm reading through the book of Ezekiel right now, and I'm seeing that God had him do some really weird things to demonstrate the message that he wanted him to demonstrate to his people, like cooking bread over cow dung and, and things like that. And it just really didn't make any sense. And I imagine that that probably partially didn't make sense to him, but he was faithful to what God wanted him to do and what he wanted to say. And the pro What's that? Oh. The prophets we read of were faithful because they knew God would be faithful to them. You know, when they were doing their ministry, they were doing what God wanted them to do, uh, even though they weren't seeing any fruit. There was no repentance that was really happening when they would share the gospel. Uh, but, you know, the books that we read from them today, they're read worldwide, and there is much that can be taken away from them you know, as Christians, we get God's instructions through the book of the prophets 
that helps us avoid the mistakes that Israel made. And so because of that, there was fruit from their words. You know, even though they didn't see the fruit, we can see the fruit of their words because it changes our lives as we listen to them and we apply the teachings to our lives. But we see that fruit. Um, but that fruit was there because they chose to be faithful and patient to God in a time where it made no sense to. And that's what we have to do. And so James says that they are considered blessed because they did not give up and retreat from what God had called them to do. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 tells us, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So if we remain faithful and don't give up and continue in the work that Jesus has us to do, then just like the prophets, God will take our efforts, he will take our good works that we've had, not that the good works save us, but he'll take our good works and make something amazing out of them if we don't give up. And it will all be worth the patience and the suffering that sometimes we have to go through to get it. In verse 11, he gives us a second example. See, we count, the, we count blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome of the Lord uh, that brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. And so uh, as we look at the life of Job, Job was not quite the same as the prophet's. Uh, he questioned God. He struggled with God. He demanded an answer from God. And when God finally showed up and gave him an answer, it kind of rocked Job's world and it kind of changed the way he thought a little bit. Um, but in spite of the suffering and the reaction that Job had, he never cursed God. He never gave up on his belief in God. And in the faith, even though his faith was not perfect uh, in how he was handling his suffering, so even though his faith wasn't perfect in how he handled suffering, he never gave up on his faith in God. Um, and so we see how God blessed him immensely. At the end of the story, he restores everything to him. And his faith in God was greater than when it first started uh, before the trials that he endured. And so even through, even though he did not have perfect faith in God throughout the whole thing, God was perfectly faithful to him. And so that's important for us to remember because there's a lot of times that we're not very faithful to God in the way we live, but God is still faithful to us if we belong to Christ. You know, Job was the first book of the Bible that I ever read. I remember I was going through a very dark time and I, it was before I became a Christian. And I stayed up all night and I just read through the whole thing because it really caught my attention. And, and because of Job's suffering and the outcome, I was able to learn to trust God even though I didn't understand what he was doing. And I, it took me a while to really grasp that lesson, but I ended up getting that from him. Job's suffering was not in vain because we learn through his pain. And so it's not wasted because there's fruit from it in the fact that we can look at his life and we can learn from the suffering. Uh, but if he hadn't endured, then we wouldn't have learned too much from him. Uh, but God doesn't, always restore, God doesn't always restore our circumstances and he doesn't always restore the things that we lose in life. And so this is why patience is very important because life is hard, as we talked about. And so just like the farmer who waits for the rains, in between the rains, there may be periods where it may look like uh, the crop may not turn out the way it's supposed to. Um, but the farmer knows not to quit because there's a second rain coming that causes the crop to turn out like it's supposed to. And so just like that, life is hard. 
As we're going through life as Christians, it can be very difficult to get through. And it can be full of suffering and things that cause us to want to give up. We lose our loved ones. We have all those circumstances in our lives that make life difficult. And we often can't see the hope in the middle of our difficult circumstances. But the first rain has come. When Jesus came into this world, he brought with him the promise that even though this life often seems difficult, and even though we often seem to see no fruit while we're here, there is a second rain coming. You know, oftentimes rain was referred to as a symbol of God's blessing. Um, It's often a symbol of God's spirit being poured out. Rain is also a symbol of judgment. And so it's a variety of different symbols. But I believe in this particular instance that he's talking about, the second rain mentioned here signifies the return of Christ because that's what we're waiting for. So even though there's no glimmer of hope to be found in this life, the promise of Jesus coming back brings everlasting hope. When we really just let that sink in, it should excite us. No more pain, no more suffering, no more wondering if all the chaos in the patient is worth it. Death is defeated and sin and pain and suffering is no more. And so we wait for the second rain because we know that God will be faithful to bring it by the evidence of his faithfulness in all things in creation and by the evidence of the faithfulness that he shows in our lives. And we will see a harvest that reaps an eternal fruit so glorious that all the waiting, all the pain, all the tears will not compare to what God has in store for us. There will be rest and peace forever. And there will be no more waiting. And we ask the question, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? We could also ask the question, suffering, where is your victory? And suffering, where is your sting? But while we wait, we endure and we live the life that God has called us to. Even when it feels like there's no rational reason because life is hard. We are patient, and while we're being patient, we're productive. We're doing the work that Christ has called us to do. You know, Jesus vindicated the suffering of Job, and he's vindicated the suffering of all those who trust in God, and he's, he's vindicated our suffering. It's not in vain, because there's hope after this life. And Jesus did that when he came into this world, when he died on the cross and he was buried and raised from the dead, overcoming death. He vindicated our suffering. Jesus' suffering has brought us peace and eternal life and an eternal reward. Out of suffering comes things we could never even imagine. You know, he brings good from the suffering that we go through. I recognize that in my life. I was going through a very difficult time, but after getting through it, he's brought good out of that that I never thought he would. Ultimately, none of the suffering is going to matter in the end. It won't matter. All of that will be set right. Without that kind of hope, the suffering we go through makes no sense at all. God will reveal to us a glory that cannot be outweighed by the suffering in this life. And that's what Paul says in Romans 8, chapter 8, verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Not worth comparing to what God has in store for us. So we just have to be patient. And we just have to wait. And we just have to live and love and in a way that God has called us to. 
We have to trust that the end has already justified the means. The end has already justified the pain that we're going through. So may we pursue patience as we wait for the Lord's guaranteed return. You know, verse 8 in this, um, in this passage tells us to strengthen our hearts because the Lord's coming back soon. And soon is a very relative word. What's soon to me may not be soon to you, uh, but we can trust that God is faithful and, and all that he does and that God promised that he would send the rains. So this is an example. God promised that he would send the rains at the proper time. So even though soon is a bit hazy to us, Jesus will turn, return exactly when he's supposed to. And so, you know, when I was younger, I think about this. When I was younger going through school, I thought that I would never get out of there. You couldn't get out of there soon enough. And then I get out of school, and then I start going through my struggles that I went through in life for almost a decade. And I'm thinking, this is never going to be over. But now as I look back on the struggles that I went through, I realize that happened so fast. And so sooner is oftentimes sooner than we think. The promise of Jesus' return is a guarantee just like the early and the late rains. God's always displaying his faithfulness so that we know that we can trust him. An eternal reward will make all of this worth it. But in the meantime, we're called to be patient and faithful. Let us set our hearts on God and strengthen our hearts, just as James says, with the promises that he's given us. Let us meditate on the promises that he's given us because the promises that he's given us is greater than the suffering that we have to endure in this world. So the question to ask yourself that morning is that do you have that hope that James talks about? Because without it, everything that James says doesn't matter to you. Bible tells us that if we put our faith in Jesus and what he's done for us, that he came, he died for our sins, was raised from the dead so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. If we believe that with all our heart, and the Bible shows us that along with belief comes repentance, that if we truly believe that, it will, repu- it will produce repentance. Repentance does not save us. I think that's important to realize because repentance would be our own efforts of turning away, but repentance is the evidence that we actually believe in Jesus. And so if you believe the gospel and repent, and then your, the response is to repent and turn to him and to follow him and the life that he has for us on this earth and in the next will not disappoint. And so Overall, to sum everything up is that James is telling us that we should not be discouraged. We need to strengthen our hearts and set our hearts and our minds on the promise that Christ has for us. And that we, while we're here, we need to make sure that we're living the way that Christ has for us to live. And to recognize that the, when we're faithful, God will use our faithfulness for good. And, and good things will come out of it. And that we should endure, even though sometimes it gets difficult. And so uh, that's important because we live in a world where it's just dark everywhere. In these past couple years, there's been a lot of darkness come out of it and a lot of anger and things that I thought that I would never see. And sometimes it gets so discouraging. But the beauty of the promise of Christ is that this life is not it. And so even though like Jesus tells us that in this this world, you're going to have troubles, but to take courage because I've overcome the world. Christ is coming back soon. Now that relative word may not mean much to us sometimes, but he's coming back soon and it'll be sooner than we realize. So let's hold on to that promise this morning. If you don't have that promise, 
You can just by simply believing in Jesus and giving Him your life. And so I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer and we're going to take a time of pastoral prayer where um, you guys can pray and talk to God. And, and then in a moment, and I'll close this with a prayer. And so if everyone would bow their heads and take this time to talk to God.